Welcome to the Dental Business Podcast with your host and owner of multiple businesses, a mentor, investor, and dental surgeon, Brad Thornton. Hi guys, it's Brad Thornton here. Uh, last episode, we were talking about investments and, and ways to help your sort of money work harder for you. And I, and I mentioned in there, you know, this idea of, of protecting the downside when it comes to investments and trying to implement strategies to, to reduce the risk of you losing money. It's very exciting to try and earn money and gain money and, and sort of grow wealth, but actually protecting the downside, try not to lose it due to market changes is, is such an important concept and idea when it comes to investments. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to be chatting to uh, Vinay Rathod, who is in financial services, and we're just going to talk about a few things which um, we all should really be doing. If you like implementing and, and having policies and things in place that also protect the downside when it comes to, you know, income and, you know, what the what if scenario, what if something happens to you, how is that, how's that going to affect you, your family, um, and your sort of income stream. So we talk about a, a few things, touch on a few things. Interestingly, one thing that it does mention regarding income protection, I have, have since looked into and, and it's, it's, it's relevant to me. Um, and because of that, I think I'm going to get a reduction in my monthly premium. Um, so listen in, and you, you'll probably understand what I'm on about when once you listened. Um, it could be perceived as a reasonably boring subject, but actually, you know what? Vinny comes across really well, and and I actually enjoyed our conversation. It was really informative, and I and I learned a lot, and I've and I've benefited from it already. And it's not been that long since we did this interview, so hopefully, you guys will, will feel the same. Here we go, Vinny Rathod from. VRFS, Rathod Financial Services. UK. Enjoy. Yeah, so, um, I mean, I, I've known about you for, for a little while just because I've kind of seen you and heard about you in the, the dental sphere. Um, and well, good stuff, I hope. Um, <laughs> I, um, I, I actually thought that you were a dentist, but you, you're not a dentist, are you? You started dental no. school. And then you moved in, so into sort of the financial yeah. financial world. So what was uh, yeah, what was that about then? Well, I was already in the finance before. So um, after the recession, um, maybe I think two or three years into having set my business up, it was just a, it was difficult. It wasn't nice, you know. Um, so I thought, sod it, I'm going to change career. Um, I'm going to be a dentist, and. Um, I went to college for a year, got a diploma so I could get into dental school. And I was there for just under three years at King's. Uh, and um, I kept my finance business going because I didn't want to take any loans out. Right. I not long met my now wife. Uh, you know, I didn't want anyone to have to worry about supporting me. So I thought I'd keep working in the evenings. When you're 30 years old in a dental school, everyone asks you what you used to do. So I, I told them I still do it um, in the evenings. And, and, I bet people would ask me to do things for them. The more I did for people, the, 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 the number of people they recommended me to um, started exponentially increasing and uh, got to a point where I, I couldn't do both. I didn't have enough time. Uh, yeah. It was one or the other. And uh, a lot of people were, were telling me that um, a lot of dentists, my wife included, clinical tutors, everyone was saying that uh, they were in my shoes that they'd choose to pursue the finance thing. Um, yeah. since it had built up some momentum um my wife's a dentist of 10 years she joined me a couple of years ago so she's been a practicing dentist for a long time yeah because i suppose with the with the dental profession one of the i think one of the things that crops quite often is our sort of maybe lack of financial savvy or business savviness um so I think as, yeah. as a, I mean, what do you think about that? Is that is that a true statement? You seem to look as though you disagreed with that, actually. I, I, I do. Um, it, it, it's you guys don't have the time to, to yeah. do the work. You need to research often. Um, Niotti used to say the same thing. Oh, yeah. I don't do finance. I don't do numbers. I'm not good at it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and and she, she does this for a living. And she took to it like a duck to water because... You, you guys are intelligent people. I mean, I know a lot of people claim the BDS is not the most difficult thing in the world. <laughs> I, I tried, and it's not easy. It's not easy, yeah. you know. Uh, and finance is, is not 
there's there's nothing in it. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you're going to try and become a forex trader, that's a different matter. You know that that needs some uh, talent and so forth um, in that area. But basic financial management, I think anyone can learn. But I think the problem with dentistry is it's so involving that you guys that aren't yeah. left with much time. There are there are a thousand different things that you guys need to do that aren't too difficult to learn how to do. But if you learned how to do them all, you'd never have any blooming time left. Yeah. So I think that's why dentists tend to retire uh, to, to the belief that, um, yeah, I'll find someone else who'll do it for me and I'll, I'll concentrate on doing what I do best. Yeah. So I don't believe it's because you can't. I think it's just because you're not given the amount of time you'd need to be able to do it well. Yeah, I think, um, you know, with, with everything that's out there, I mean, when we sort of finish dental school and we go into a sort of associateship or whatever it is that we do post-graduation, which is often to become an associate by a VT, um, you kind of have these days or you have these visiting um, like accountants and people who talk about things like, you know, all these sort of financial things and, and products that we need to be looking at. Um, now, is there, a, is there an easy way to, to think of it? Because I remember me, you know, in BT and, and going, even now, like when I was actually looking at the kind of things that you um, you look after, you know, your income protection, your critical life, all of the different elements that, that you need to really try and get, um, get set up and, in order to um, protect you and, 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 you know, what it's there for. There's quite a lot of things, aren't there? It's quite confusing. Um, do you have a simple way of, of thinking about it so that you know, people can um, at least understand why they need all this setting up and what they need to cover, what bases they need to cover? Yeah. Um, well, just remember that I've been doing this for a long time. So sometimes what to me appears simple might not necessarily be for the person listening, but um, my, my view and, and, the problem is where, where it gets confusing is my view is a little bit different to a lot of the people who also sell income protection um, elsewhere. Um, income protection, I think, is the most important one because it doesn't have a list of things it covers, like in, in critical yeah. illness. You, you need a diagnosis that's on a list, you know, and only then will you get a payout. Income protection, provided you're fit and healthy when you take it out, there won't be any exclusions on it. You know, there's no standard exclusions as such. Uh, younger you are, the cheaper it is. So I think that the, the illusion a lot of young young people have is that they're invincible and it will never happen yeah. to them. I used to do the same. Um, they, they think, well, I, I live with mum and dad. You know, uh, often they, they haven't moved out yet. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a practice. What do I need income protection for? The problem is once you're in a position, you can't get it. You can't get it. You know, yeah. you might want it when you're 40. But then if you're diabetic by then, no one will give it to you. So yeah. sometimes you need to get your foot in the door quickly because you know you will need it in the future. Well, most people agree that they will need it at some point in the future. The, the other thing that's interesting is every time I've done the calculation, the amount of money you'd save by not paying it for a year in, in premiums, you'll pay back many times more than that by paying a slightly higher amount every month for the rest of the plan because you take it on your older. Um, so income protection is the most versatile product out there as long as it's set up in the correct way and it will pay out for anything that stops you working as a clinical dentist again assuming it's set up correctly um, own occupation yeah. cover is something else that, that, that needs to be considered um, and that's essential um, life cover it's not really that important if you're living at home with your mum and dad so forth but, but it's cheap as well so a lot of people tend to take the view as soon as i've got a commitment that i want paid off so a mortgage uh, a practice that they owe money on even with renting if you if you're an adult you're renting you've got a partner you may have children and those people need somewhere to live if you die whether it's a yeah. mortgage they need paying for or whether it's their rent paying for or if they're renting whether it's enough money so they can come buy a house life cover tends to be the next one on the list um, and um, critical illness cover tends to be where you've maxed out your income protection because you can only insure a, a maximum portion of your income a lot of people feel that they're more exposed than the income protection allows to protect so big families single 
income households, you know, really well-to-do dentist married to someone who doesn't work and has three or four yeah. kids, they think, well, covering just my income isn't enough. So then they can introduce critical illness cover to then, because there's no limit on how much life and critical illness cover you can have other than what you're willing to pay. So right. then that then will fill the gap. So there are overlaps in the two. Critical illness cover, I feel, is usually worth looking at. A lot of a lot of other advisors tend to. I've seen a lot of people who, who they won't max out crit, uh, income protection, but they'll sell them critical illness cover. Which right. I, I I don't see the logic in that because you're far more likely to get a, a payout on an income protection than critical illness cover. So you should really max that one out first before you look at the other. Right. There's a couple of things actually there that was quite interesting. Now, when you said about taking your income protection out when you're older, you know how a mortgage is remortgaged periodically. With income protection, if you get that at 25, is the idea then that you're kind of staying with the same income protection provider for your career? Or, you know, provider, if you, it, not necessarily, yeah. more, more the plan. If plan, possible, right. but you can't have, you can't avoid changing income protection at some point or topping it up because naturally you want your income to increase as time goes on. And if the maximum income protection is linked to your income when you take it out, you'll need to add more later. Um, a lot of people may start off in the NHS where um, caveat here, uh, it's different for Wales, uh, sorry, it's different for, for Scotland and Northern Ireland than it is for England and Wales. But in England and Wales, NHS dentists, self-employed, get sick pay, uh, full full pay from week five to 26. So you might have a six-month income protection plan for five, 10 years if you're NHS. You could go private, you want a one or a two or a three-month deferred plan. And then you do need to change it. You know, you, you go from a um, salary position to a, a, a working in practice, you're gonna need to change it. But the idea being is, you could be stuck with a plan for the rest of your life because uh, diabetes is a good example. You can't get income protection if you if you've been diagnosed as diabetic. Full stop. No one will, will cover it. So then you might be better off with a a, a six month income protection plan, even though you're a private dentist, because no one else will give you one. Yeah. You, you see, so you you should always take it out on the basis that I might be stuck with this for the rest of my career, and if I am, is it acceptable? Yeah. But you do need to review it every time your income situation or your, your employment situation changes or even your financial circumstances. Yeah. And you, you said there as well, you, were, you, you mentioned a certain type of, um, of income protection that's, that's important. It used a certain phrase that basically means if you can't be a, a practicing clinical dentist. Yeah. I, was, I was going to ask, you know, are there things that you look for in a good policy and things that make it for us maybe not so good? I, my opinion is it's not makes it not so good. It just makes it unsuitable. Um, yeah. If it's not own occupation cover, it should not be taken by a dentist. Uh, it, it, it's as simple as that. Um, the last thing you want is to, to you know, to be told you've, you've chopped three or four fingers off your right hand, but you can do loads of other jobs because you still yeah. fit them well. Otherwise, you know, that's not what you've gone to dental school and trained for. Um, own occupation cover means if you can't work as a clinical dentist, you qualify to be paid under the plan. Um, one thing I, I just want to mention, actually, because it, it was um, yesterday a client asked me this and he was surprised at my answer because one of the alternative brokers out there had given him a different answer to the question. Um, he said, if I have own occupation cover, now this chap was quite unique. He had a law degree as well. And so he said, if I can't work as a dentist, I'll probably you know, I'm looking to do some work in law shortly. Um, I'd probably just try and do that full time. Uh, he's like, so then the income protection would just keep paying me for, for dentistry, for my wide covered for dentistry, right? Um, and the answer is, is yes and no. Um, if you choose to work for pay after you've become unable to work as a dentist, that will reduce the amount you get paid by the income protection company on a proportional right. basis. Um, Otherwise, every dentist who's fed up with dentistry, who might be a little less than 100% ethical, would just go and take an would chop their own fingers off. Out, claim. <laughs> well, no, no, but you've got depression, stress, anxiety, and back pain, which no one can prove you don't have. 
You just yeah. say you've got it. And, and I'm not belittling those that have seriously got it, but it's easy for someone who doesn't have it to claim they have it and not, it's not easy for anyone to prove otherwise. You, you know, you can't see a lot of back problems on an x-ray. You, you can't scan someone for depression and anxiety. And if it's very yeah. easy to say, dentistry is the cause of my stress, depression, and anxiety. It's making me feel this way. I can't carry on and then just go and get a job doing something else and live off the, the income protection money. So to avoid that, if you choose to work in another profession, it will reduce it, but it gives you the opportunity to go and choose what to do to get retrained while you, you're paid for um, your, your time off. What about uh, practice orders then? So if you've got associates and you're a practice, like me, I mean, I'm, I'm a practice dentist in my, in my practice, but I, I have associates. Um, mm. If I couldn't do the clinical aspect, but I can still derive an income from the business, how, where does that lie then? Where does that fit? So would you believe if I said I'm yet to come across a principal who's had income protection set up correctly for them? Uh, I would 100% believe that because I, as you're talking, I'm going through what my, what mine is, and I, I bet mine isn't right. You see, uh, I'm hoping you're the first person who'll say to me, "Oh, well, that's that's how we did it." Um, <laughs> but I've yet to come across someone who says that. Um, let's say you earn 70 grand as an associate. I think that's about the national average thereabouts. Um, net profit 70 grand. If you can't work, you lose 70 grand a year. So you can insure yourself for 70 grand's worth of income, but you can insure 60% of that typically is what you'd get in a payout. So the, the amount right. you can cover is limited to there about 60% of your net profit or your gross salary if you're employed. Um, it's pretty easy. You, you can't work. You lose 70 grand. We know exactly how much to insure you for. The insurer knows exactly how much you've lost and how much they should pay you. When you're a principal, it's not so simple. Um, and you have to calculate something called an insurable loss. And this is the step that I've not yet seen anyone else do. Um, so let's say you earn 170 grand as a principal. And you calculate that if you couldn't work, your earnings would drop to 120 grand, for example, because you'd get a locum or an associate in to replace you um, in most scenarios, depending on how specialist your dentistry is. Um, but by and large, most people would get someone in. That would bring them an element of income back. So they would still remain profitable. So your profit drops to 120 grand. You can only insure yourself for 50 grand's worth of income because that's what you would lose if you didn't yeah. work, right? And 60% of that 50 grand. Right. Yet every policy I've seen set up so far is how much do you earn? Oh, 170 grand a year. Okay, so we can insure you for 60% of that. And the, the only time you'd ever realize that is if you try to make a claim yeah. Uh, hang on a minute. Your earnings are, are not dropping anywhere near enough to substantiate this size of claim. They would then reduce the amount they pay you to 60% of the actual loss, or they're about 60%, depending on the insurer. Um, but you wouldn't get any of the extra money back that you paid. Ah, uh, so yeah, so you'll get then you, your premiums will be higher because of the amount that yeah. you you perceive you'll claim. But then when it comes to yeah. it, you then don't get as much as you were expecting. Amount. Right. But the the knock-on effect of that is you'd probably have put less money away because you thought you were properly protected. Whereas if you knew you could only have a certain amount of protection, you could make sure that you made an effort to put more money in the bank mm. as a, a rainy day fund just to yeah. make sure that you can then cover for, for the difference. Yeah, I mean, that's um, I've just written that down there because I'm going to check that because, I, I mean, I, I would 100% that was never part of the conversation that I've ever had. So it's, um, yeah. I, I can guarantee that I fall into that category. Definitely. I um, it, yeah. it's interesting. You just mentioned that there was a, when I've reached out to you, there was that comment on uh, one of the groups, wasn't it about somebody saying that they were looking at all their outgoings and thinking, right, well, am I going to be better off putting this money into some kind of investment vehicle yes. rather than pay for my income protection? Now, you are going to wholeheartedly support the idea of paying income protection. I can already tell by the way that you, you know, you're positioning it, um, and I agree with you. Um, but what 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 is the answer to that sort of query? Is it just a flat out no? Don't do that. Or is is there actually any kind of consideration? Do you think? Yeah. Well, the person who actually posted that comment is a client of mine, and I set her income protection up. 
and she said that later on in the thread, which is why I'm, I'm mentioning yeah. it. Um, but um, I'd messaged her and said, I hope you don't mind if I answer for the benefit of everyone else reading the post, not yeah. just for you, you know, because a lot of people would find that quite, and it's come up a couple of times before people have commented when someone's asked, not that specific question, but should I have income protection? And other people have said, no, put your money in property instead and so forth. And I always give the same sort of response that that's all very well under the assumption that you'll retire never having needed income protection and you'll have an asset you've created through many years or decades of slow investment and accrual. Yeah. That's fine. But then then why, why are we even having the conversation about what you should have instead of income protection? Because you're assuming you'll never need it in the first place. Yeah. Just go and spend it on whatever you want. You know, why then think of something alternative to put it into? What's, what's the objective? Oh, so if anything did happen, I've, uh, I've got something. Yeah, but you wouldn't have that thing if something had happened. You're assuming nothing has happened and you've, you've put all yeah. that income protection money into something else instead. Average income protection premium is probably between 50 and 100 pounds um, for an associate. And, and I say to people, most dentists, if I came in and stole 100 pounds a month out of your bank every month, unless you actually saw it on your bank statement, you'd never notice it. You'd not, not yeah. be able to buy something you otherwise wanted to buy or do something you otherwise wanted to do for lack of that 50 to 100 pounds, right? Yeah. So you're not going to miss it. You're not going to accrue any wealth by saving 50 to 100 pound a month. You know, that, that's a holiday yeah. fund. It's not a protection fund, you know. Yeah. Um, and in, by the time you've actually accrued any wealth from it, like I say, you're 20 years down. And if something happens after two years, what's that couple of grand that you've saved going to get you? It, yeah. It's two weeks worth of your income, one week worth of your income, and that's gone. So it, it, it's a very biased thought process it, 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 humans are, na are naturally biased towards the thought that nothing bad will happen to them or their loved ones and people don't like to think of bad things happening to them and and so that's why when they have these thoughts they're naturally biased towards the yeah but it's not going to happen um yeah and, and, and it, you get the same um the the irony is most people would never think of taking third-party insurance on their half decent car even though the law only states you need third party insurance, 20 grand BMW, oh no, I won't fully comp on that. And yeah. they'll pay 500 a grand, you know, for, for insuring a half decent car. Um, but, it, you know, it's, it's because people have seen car crashes. You know, they, they yeah. see them, it's happened to people they know, they may have already had them themselves. Um, when it comes to things that are really bad that stop you working, by and large, most of us are lucky enough to not know anyone that's happened to. It's interesting though, the, the, the two guys that were here before me, the, pre, the previous owner who I bought it off and his mate from UNED, both retired a few years earlier than planned. Um, mm -hmm. They were just knackered, like their, their bodies. Yeah. I mean, as dentists, that no matter what we try and do, no matter how we try and, and work on posture, you tend to find there are niggles, there are mm -hmm. things which, which just start to affect your physical, let alone, you know, nowadays, all the mental issues that we've got going on and the, the increased stresses. But um, I actually know quite a few dentists that didn't necessarily stop working, but they retired early. So it kind of, you know, four or five years earlier than planned. Um, yeah, because it was getting too difficult to carry on for whatever yeah. reason. Um, I was going to say, would they, you know, because I mean, they they technically retired, you know, when we speak to patients, that's what they were, they were told, they, they retired early. Um, now, for those five years or four years before, I mean, what, what, what does the income protection take, take into account then? Is it up until retirement age? You, you choose the age of, of the end of the policy. Now, some policies are limited. So, for example, Dentist Provident used to only go to age 60. They go to 65 now. Um, LV will let you go to 70. Um, so it depends. The older the age that you set the policy on, the more it costs, of course, yeah. because that's when you're most likely to have actually needed it. But you yeah. can go to age 70 for dentists. Um, and I've got a question as well. Um, I mean, I, I assume I know what this means, but what is key man cover? What is that? Because I noticed that was on your website. Key man insurance is um, 
I'm trying to think of an example that can relate to you, for example. Um, do you own the practice yourself or do you have yeah. a business partner? You own the no, no, just, just me. That's, just you. So let's say you'd had a specialist working at your practice for the last 15 years and he made you or she he made you an awful lot of money and had a lot of loyalty in the area. And you know that if you lost that person, you couldn't just put another specialist in and keep that level of income because of goodwill and so forth. So that that person is worth a lot of money to you if they if you yeah. lose them. You can ensure the life of a person working with you or a business partner. So you get paid or the business that you own gets paid, depending on how you're structured, if, the, if a key man or woman is lost. Right. Um, an easier example to give unrelated to dentistry, but it, it demonstrates point really well is a restaurant would a high-end restaurant would possibly have their chef insured if they have a Michelin star chef that right. is not the owner of the restaurant. They can't just replace a Michelin star chef and not expect to lose any business. So yeah, insure them for X amount of money to let them account for that transition period. Um, now, I know we spoke quite a bit about income protection. I mean, what do you find yourself mainly doing when you're dealing with dentists? Because I know you do mortgages and different financial bits and pieces. What's your day-to-day bread and butter stuff that you tend to spend most of your time doing? Um, uh, the, the single product that we arrange the most of is income protection. Because yeah. anyone, by and large, is is in the right area or category, so to speak. You know, it's mortgages when you've saved up enough deposit and you want to move out or buy something um you know life insurance is often when you get married or you have a mortgage or kids or something like that but income protection really a lot of people do understand that they should have it shortly after graduating i mean the dental schools are pretty good in that respect that they tend to convey the message that income protection is quite important um but for that reason people who live at home with the mum and dad still getting income protection. People who buy houses getting income protection. Associates getting income protection. Principals do. Income protection is literally something that every dentist should consider. So that's the thing we we spend or we do the most the volume of uh, the highest number of transactions. Um, probably closely followed by mortgages, um, especially at the moment. Everyone's trying to get in before the stamp duty um, discount yeah. ends in April. Um, do you find, I mean, do you invest in property yourself at all? Um, it, it, in the sense that I invested in this place uh, to grow my business, um, but, I, but not in the traditional sense. I don't have any buy to let. Um, the biggest reason for that has been thus far the introduction of the extra 3% stamp duty if you keep a place and buy another one. Um, yeah. So otherwise, I would have tried my best to keep my last two houses if I could and turn them to buy to let. But if doing that would have cost me a hell of a lot more stamp duty each time I moved. Yeah. Um, they also cut the tax relief on mortgage interest to, to basic rate, whereas it used to be full tax relief. So if you're a higher rate taxpayer, you're going to make uh, pay more tax on the profit you make. Um, so that, that was a put off. Um, Putting that aside, there are a couple of ways around the, the, the latter part of that. You can buy a property in a limited company now. Um, so then the company gets to offset the tax in full, uh, sorry, offset the mortgage interest in full and pays corporation tax instead of personal tax. Um, again, that's something that it, it was a strategy I'd hoped to employ going forward over the next few years. Um, but then coronavirus happened and everything's up in the air, of course. Um, so any yeah. unnecessary outlay is, is on hold at the moment. But uh, I mean, my, my initial strategy was um, the south of England gets really poor rental yields. You need to decide whether you want to invest in property as a pension. So capital growth being your main priority. So it's worth as much as possible when you need to sell it when you're older. Or do you want to create a residual income? so that you can try and maybe work less or have a better quality of life. And I want to create a residual income so I can work less um, and have more time to enjoy the fruits of my work. So I wanted to buy cheap rental properties somewhere like Leicester. I say Leicester because that's where I'm from. And I know a really good letting agent there who deals with this type of property. I've known him since I was a child. Um, And just get cheap um uh, rental you know terraced houses in working yeah. class parts of town that are really high in demand not the type of place 
see high, higher end lets, more expensive lets, nicer areas tend to be stepping stones for people while they save up yeah. to buy a house. You see, yeah. whereas if you look at more working class areas, um, it, you know, there's a number of areas in Leicester um, like that where people won't be able to afford to buy their house. They will just be renting for a very long time. That, that's the type of tenant you want to try and get. Someone who's yeah. lived in a house for 10 years, sees it as their own and looks after it like their own. And you, know, you get a far better rental yield. You make more profit on it month by month, year by year, but you expect less capital growth than you would, yeah. for example, further down the south of England or in a nicer area. Um, so you're not going to be able to cash out for as big a profit. But that that's not my aim going forward. So it, it depends. Um, so if it wasn't for the, the the tax situations that have been implemented just in recent years, it, it, I would probably have kept my old properties if possible, at least. Yeah, because I'm going to give you set record my sentiments there because um, I've got quite a few property developer patients, and that's something that they they actually enlightened me to because they've got I don't know fifty or sixty property portfolio. Um, this this one family that that I see quite often, and that's the, exactly what they said. They'd moved away from professional lets, which they had quite a large portfolio of, because they said that the tenants were living there very long. They were just using their their sort of property as one year, two year, whilst they saved up or moved on to something else. Whereas, you know, if you get a family in there, you know, I say I say working class, but basically a, a family of people who, you know, don't necessarily have an ambition to buy their own house, mm. um, then they're going to be in there for far longer. Um, yeah. Because I, I always assumed that my portfolio would be made up of professional lets because they'd look after it better and all of this. Yeah, it's, um, but yeah, change mind completely. Risks, yeah. you know, pro- people often think professional clients will give them the least amount of, of chip. But just have a look at dentists for dentists if you want to see how much grief professional could cause you if they wanted to. <laughs> they're, you know, they're they're, yeah. they're more intelligent. They're better off. They can fight you you know yeah. um, far easier than other people can and um, sometimes the smarter someone is the bigger it, such and such they have the potential to be so yeah, i'll say it pain in the ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so you know but then equally you know anyone who watches can't pay take will take it away uh, which is quite trash TV, but nevertheless, I quite enjoy it because you 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 see such a wide variety of people, social classes who just refuse to pay. Uh, I'm not just talking about poor people, working class people. You get some really bloody wealthy people, and they just feel entitled, you know. And they they for whatever reason they just so they decide no, I don't want to pay. Or a professional can fall far further than someone who's in a regular job yeah um you know professional buys a business doesn't work out uh, you know uh, someone who works in a regular job is probably going to stay in that job because it's a job you know yeah. unless they, they get sacked or, or something unfortunate happens or they get a better job um yeah professionals are a little uh, you know the risks are different the other thing is professional lets you usually cost a lot more and the rental income is a lot bigger. So having one problematic tenant in that type of place has a much bigger impact to your profit uh, uh, than, than having a, a few little properties uh, with the red, the risk spread. Yeah. Um, you'd be really unlucky to have a bunch of pr- problematic tenants all at the same time. Yeah. Um, I know you don't um, specifically advise on pensions, so I, I know that you know, this is more of a, just a, a bit of a chat. I'd just be interested in what your opinion was. Um, now, I I was in the NHS, fed into my NHS pension. Then I've, moved, I've been in private dentistry for over 10 years now. Um, now, I've never thought to then feed into a new pension because I've got my little investments that I do that – um, I've got no intention of, of like you said, cashing out. I'm not going to sell any houses. I'm not going to withdraw money from my ISA. I'm not going to do anything like that. And my view is that 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 is my pension. All of those things are my pension. Um, mm-hmm. Now I know there are differences between the benefits of say feeding into your own personal pension compared to feeding into an ISA. You know, what, what's the difference between those in terms of sort of, I mean, the tax and, and various things? 
All right. So firstly, just for anyone watching this, I'm not an IFA, so I don't give pension or investment advice. Anything I'm about to say is absolutely nothing more than my opinion. Um, and, and that's it. If anyone wants to act on anything in this, this video, you need to run it past the qualified IFA first. Don't go on my say-so or advice or, or the ideas I give. Um, I, I'll talk more about what I do personally as well. Um, the reason that a pension I find is a, a very good part of an overall strategy is you get full tax relief on the money that you put in there. If you're a 40% taxpayer, you've earned a pound, you've got 60p of it, you put 60p in a pension, the government puts back in the 40. So your pension investment has been one pound for you only putting 60p in. Yes, you pay tax when you eventually draw the pension, but that's an extra 40p on that 60 pence that's growing, that's being invested. So you're actually 40% up on that straight away, which, which is then going to grow at a far greater pace than if you'd have put it somewhere else after you paid the tax on it. But it's not the be all and end all because there are risks in private pensions. NHS pensions are practically risk free in the fact it, it, in, the, in the fact they're state fund um, state backed. Um, a lot of yeah. people often allude to the fact that what if there's not enough money in the pot when it's time to claim, and then we don't get back what we were supposed to. But that's not how an NHS pension works. There is already not enough money in the pot to pay the people who are claiming an NHS pension, and that's why we pay national insurance. Everyone who pays national insurance is funding the NHS pension in part. So unless the British government collapsed, then usually I'd yeah. say that that's not going to happen. But look where we are right now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, as in the entire collapse of the governmental structure, not just the current. You know, so it's it's not going to yeah. happen really. You know, um, so the money in the pension, you will get what you. Are told you'll get at the point of putting that money in. There are different pension schemes, and they can and have in the past made changes to them, but changes aren't retrospective. So you right. get what you get, and then if they change it and you don't like it anymore, you can stop. Yeah. And the, the NHS pension is considered second to none because of the size of the contribution the NHS make on top of your contribution. So not only are you grossed up to your pre tax amount, the NHS then puts the money in there for you too. Yeah. So it's, it, it, you know, when the RT was practicing dentistry, um, she was in the NHS pension. Um, I have a private pension as well as stocks, shares, ISAs, as well as cash ISAs and um, an offset mortgage um, to, to utilize more short-term cash flow because you don't want to tie everything up. Um, like anything, don't put your eggs in one basket, but at the same time, don't be scared by people who don't understand the financial products and the differences between them. And this is the danger of getting advice from laymen, and laymen, I mean people who are not professional in, in the area that you're seeking advice, and dentists are laymen typically when it comes to financial matters. And a lot of people ask pension advice on the dental forums. And, and I always say when people do this, they, Get advice from a proper IFA. I said, because some answers on here will be correct, some will be incorrect, but you'll not know which one is which. And every yeah. single person answering will do so with such authority that they believe theirs is the correct answer. Yeah. It might be for them, not for you. It might be wrong altogether. Again, I've seen people comment that the NHS pension could be worthless if um, you know, if, if the stock market's crashed. It's not linked to the stock market. That's yeah. not true. So, you know, you there's nothing wrong with deciding to opt out of the pension as long as you understand what it would have given you and what you're losing and you are, you are consciously putting something in place. The, the, the biggest reason I ask people to think very carefully when they ask me whether they should opt out of the NHS pension or not, I do tell them straight away that I can't answer that because I'm not an IFA. But I say think very carefully because in my experience, the vast majority of people who are well-intentioned Oh, well, I'm going to save that money and put it somewhere else. They don't put it somewhere else. Yeah. And then 10 years down the line, they realize, oh, crap. And the, yeah. the thing about pensions, that, that people massively underestimate the power of compound growth. For, yeah. for every year you, you put off putting money into a pension, you have to put in a 
hell of a lot more to get back to the same place you would have been. So the key to, to investing, whether it be in a pension, which NHS pension that's taken care of for you, they take a certain percentage of your net pension of learnings, but you know, so you don't really have a choice of what to put in. Um, but you know, put in a regular amount for a long yeah. period of time, you know, uh, get a calculator, put 10 on there and multiply it by 0. Um, 0.11 or something like that. That's one pound interest, 1% growth each year. And then just keep pressing enter on your calculator and you'll see how much every year that, that growth is just going to go up exponentially. Um, and that's the thing is most people, it's not a logical thing. You know, it's like that old um, sort of maths uh, joke or whatever you call it, anecdote, where if you if you had a penny and you doubled your money every time, how uh, you know how much would you have if you doubled it a hundred times, or you know how long would it take to get to a million pounds? And no one ever ever believes just how quickly you'd reach a high number by doing that, you know, um, because of, of that power of the growth on that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you touched on something. There was a question on one of the forums again um, that mentioned about paying off a mortgage. And um, hmm. and what you just said there is something that I was going to mention because that's that's exactly what I think of it. Yeah, paying off a mortgage, you know, whether that's a good idea or not, that's, you know, up, up to you. But the one thing to make sure is that, you know, if you're allocating, because a mortgage is a, obviously it's a, a very serious thing to have to pay and people are scared hmm not to pay it. So if you're paying 500, 600, 700 pound mortgage, but you've got the money to pay it off and you pay it off, that's fair enough, you know, whatever. But it's, for me, I think you, you don't tend to put that five, six, 700 pounds then into an investment or, you know, if you, um, I'm trying to articulate this better, but it's basically what you said where, you know, you may not pay something and choose not to because you think, oh, it's a waste of money. I'll use mm. my money for something else. Like, yeah, I'm not paying you mortgage. Don't. But you just don't do it. Um, yeah. And for me, you know, something like a mortgage, you know, is it's quite low interest. It's, it's quite good debt to have. I think mm. using up a big pot of money that you might have to then pay something down in one lump sum, I personally think that's that's a waste of that capital because... Um, I don't think you'll use the money that you may have saved for something to grow that capital again. I think for me, I'd use that capital for something else because I'm very committed to paying off my mortgage, but I don't think I'd be as committed to using that money for something else if I didn't have my mortgage to pay off, if that makes sense. Yeah. You see, this is one thing. You, what the, the key word you use there is personally, and, and this is it. A lot of people don't factor in attitude, behavior, and personality when they're thinking yeah. about financial planning. If if you're um, the type of person who makes decisions on a whim, you're, you're very impulsive. You're very irresponsible with your finance. You have to you have to be truthful to yourself. You can't pretend that you're a responsible, careful person if the last thirty years of your life evidence that you're not. If you're crap with your money, then you need to behave, plan finances on the basis of that. That if I do manage to pay my mortgage off in that five, seven hundred pound a month, am I just going to then think, oh, I can get a nice Porsche on a PCP now for that same amount of money and spunk it all up the wall? Or are you going to do something productive with it? I, I think for most people, paying their mortgage off will probably relate and correlate more so to where, when they're in a position to be able to retire. Yeah. If you're if you're in a position to pay your mortgage off in your 40s or early 50s, you're probably extremely lucky and, and fortunate, um, and have worked hard, no doubt. But for most people, it's a bit later in life, and the quicker they can pay their mortgage off, the quicker they can make that choice to continue working at their own pace. Because that's the other thing is a lot of people under um, undervalue the, um, the value of, of peace of mind and time as well. If you can choose to cut down from five days a week, dentist dentistry to three, but not be any wealthier as a result of it, that's fine because your wealth may come in the fact that you're spending more time with your family in your later years yeah. when you're more tired, like you mentioned about the two people who owned your practice before. But if you've got a mortgage. But then at the same time, um, 
it depends how, what's the word, um, disciplined you can be. So I've got um, a part interest only mortgage on my house uh, and a mortgage at less than 2% APR, 1.67, whatever percent. And I've made about 10% year on year on my stock sizes. Yeah. So I've got enough of my mortgage on a capital repayment. By the time my mortgage is up, if I've totally ruined and screwed up my entire life, I'll have enough equity to go and buy a nice little house cash to live in. I'll always have a house, right? That interest-only part of my mortgage allows me to invest the capital that I otherwise would have been paying off this house into other things like the long-term planning of my pension. Um, the other good thing about a pension is it, it, it's, it um, reduces your tax. Uh, yeah. Check this with a um, IFA when it passed rules change. But um, if you were going to earn over 100 grand a year net profit, you'd lose your tax-free allowance bit by bit. And you can avoid doing that by diverting money into a pension. So if you were going to pay an effective 45% tax rate between 100 and 120 grand of income, you can divert that into, into a pension, um, provided you don't need all of your 120 grand to spend. Um, yeah, that, so I mean, this obviously is a, this is a hypothetical that would never happen. But if you earned 100 grand profit and you were going to be paying your tax on that, if you paid 100 grand into a pension, do you effectively then have zero tax to pay? I believe in theory, yes. Yeah. But there are ma maximum amounts you can put in a pension. It's, um, it's 40 grand well. a year, isn't um, it? I believe so. And then there's a maximum lifetime allowance as well. And then the tax on the pension can become prohibitive um, and, and so forth. So again, pensions is quite a complex area. It's, it's, it's why I don't do it. I, I started doing my, my diploma so we could offer everything because everyone kept asking. I just realized that, uh, you know, jack of all trades, I'd not be able to be very, very good at pensions whilst doing everything else I do um, yeah. and vice versa. So, you know, pensions is quite a, a, an in-depth area um, with a lot of rules and regulations and tax planning. So, but in, in theory, as a basic principle, yes, as long as you don't exceed any of the allowance at which point that becomes a different matter yeah brilliant now just a quick one this is for my benefit um do you do um practice finance stuff as well so if you're buying practices do you have any links to lenders at all yeah yes and no um we've we've been so busy with mortgages for the last six months because of this massive spike we we're not doing any commercial business at the moment but we've got a very good um, a commercial broker that we can introduce clients to um, that we know has a good reputation and a good track record. Yeah. Um, we can help with any of the associated bits and bobs. Um, some people get a practice loan themselves. You know, they've arranged one with Lloyd's before, so they go back to the same guy. He sorts it out for them directly, which is fine. Um, and you know, they need life insurance as part of the, the contract. We can uh, we do a lot of that. So people come to us. We can help with those areas but the actual securing of the funding we can and, and have done but at the time for the time being it's extremely time consuming and i don't want to yeah. do it poorly so we're, we're not we're sending yeah. it over to someone who does just practice finance yeah. i'm gonna uh i'm gonna talk to you about something off there just see what you think yeah sure <laughs> um you know what i think we've covered everything that i wanted to cover there um i All think right. that's been quite quite good i mean um, when we're knocking on for about 50 minutes which i think ah time for, you know, for, for for this for this topic actually you know what that was that was nice and informative because a lot of the stuff that we went through there i think i've always even though i feel as though i have um i'm informed enough to make decisions you've enlightened me on quite a few bits and pieces there mm. so there's definitely things that i'm going to do off the back of this conversation um yeah um and that generally means that the people listening the people watching hopefully will have got the same kind of value so i appreciate that and thank you so, for your time I hope so. one thing i'd like to say before which i i failed to touch on earlier um when you were asking about insurance you asked about own occupation cover for income protection right yeah um no one really knows there's also an occupation specific element on critical illness cover right um so you get a list of illnesses heart attack, cancer, stroke, you know, et cetera. If you get one of them, you get a payout, right? That's fine. But if you're permanently disabled from working for any reason, you can get a payout as well. 
So I mentioned right. earlier losing a few fingers off your hand as an example, right? If you had a critical illness policy that covered dentistry for an own occupation basis and you chopped a few fingers off your hand in an accident, that's not a critical illness, but you'd get a critical illness payout because you'd clearly never be able to work as a clinical dentist again. Yeah. Very few insurers give own occupation cover on their critical illness cover and some that did stopped. So Vitality, for example, just over, uh, just under it a year ago, just under a year ago, December last year, I believe, they, without telling anyone, stopped covering <laughs> dentistry for an own occupation. So anyone who's got cover already is fine. Uh, if they had the own occupation version, they won't change it retrospectively. But where Vitality used to be a very popular policy for critical illness cover on uh, in the dental sector, and I have recommended it numerous times, and I've probably written comments on historic posts where I've said vitality is a good plan for dentists. Okay. It isn't anymore because they don't cover dentistry as an own occupation. They would simply say to you, um, there are many suited occupations you can do as a dentist. You can manage a dental practice, you can teach dentistry, you can go work for a dental rep, et cetera. So therefore you don't qualify for a payout. Whereas mm. the few plans that are left that do cover it for an own occupation would mean that you'd get that lump sum payout regardless of whether it was a critical illness or not, as long as you're permanently not able to work as a dentist. Right. And then you get your income protection until uh, you, you reach the age that you set it up for as well on top of that. So I just wanted to mention that because not many people know that there's an occupation-specific element to the, the, the latter part, the critical illness cover. Yeah, that's brilliant. I'm going to look at that as well, actually. Um, now, right. if people want to get hold of you um, and, hmm. and find you, how, how do they do that? Yes. Where's the best place to get in touch? Um, you can either Facebook message myself or my wife. My wife is Niati Rathod. That's N-I-Y-A-T-I. -I. Um, I am Vinay Rathod, V-I-N-A-Y. Um, and then our website is VRFS for um, Vinay Rathod Financial Solutions um, dot UK. So vrfs.uk. Email address is vinay at vrfs.uk. Brilliant.